Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the March 13th, Monday, reading of the Fort Collins Coloradoan. My name is Megan. Today we will be reading the following main articles. Affordable housing can be a complex topic. Here's what to know about it in Fort Collins. Written by Molly Bohannon. Dead skunks in Larimer County test positive for highly pathogenic avian influenza. Written by Miles Bloomhart. One shot injured after Friday argument in Fort Collins residence. Written by Eric Larson. Fate of Northern Colorado Airport's virtual tower unclear after closure of Virginia Tower. Written by Molly Bohannon. And following up with miscellaneous articles. Affordable housing can be a complex topic. Here's what to know about it in Fort Collins. By Molly Bohannon. Affordable housing is a hot topic, not just here in Fort Collins, but across Colorado and the country. And while it's something everyone's talking about, it's an extremely complex issue with many definitions and nuances to understand. When people talk about affordable housing, they could be referencing a couple of different ideas. The difference between affordable housing as it's defined in the housing world and attainable housing is worth knowing. You might hear the terms used interchangeably, but much like the distinction between a square and a rectangle. While affordable housing is always attainable, attainable housing doesn't always meet the requirements to be deemed affordable. As the Coloradoan regularly reports on the affordable housing challenge, We've put together the following guide to terms, organizations to know, and other frequently asked questions to help you understand what it all means. If you think of other terms you've heard as part of the topic, drop them in the comments to help us round out our affordable housing dictionary. Affordable, attainable, workforce housing. What's the difference and who qualifies? Affordable housing. The city of Fort Collins follows the housing industry definition of affordable housing.
explained in its Housing Strategic Plan, which was adopted in 2021. Rental housing that costs no more than 30% of income for a household, making 80% or less of the area median income, AMI. A mortgage that costs no more than 38% of income for a household making 80% of less AMI. Fort Collins's 2022 AMI is $107,300 for a family of four in Fort Collins and it's $75,200 for a single person. A four-person household earning 80%, $85,840, would need to spend no more than $2,146 on monthly rent or no more than $2,718 on mortgage payments to fall below those marks. For a single person, that's no more than $1,500 in rent or $1,905 on a mortgage. Affordable housing programs target low or very low income individuals and families, often earning well below those marks. And housing is subsidized one way or another to ensure that offered housing fits in their budget. Attainable housing. Attainable housing has a much foggier definition than affordable housing, and it's one that will likely continue to change as housing prices increase. We have good definitions for affordable housing. That's subsidized and deed restricted, said Megan Overton, housing manager for Fort Collins. But as the housing challenges we're facing have affected people higher up on the income spectrum, now we're talking about people who wouldn't qualify for affordable housing struggles to struggling to afford housing. People sometimes say that's attainable housing. Generally, Attainable housing targets those who make too much money to qualify for traditional, subsidized, affordable housing, so more than 80% of AMI, but still struggle to find housing that eats up no more than 30% of their income. So one of the largest differences is that attainable housing feasibly could still be market rate 
While affordable housing needs to be subsidized or priced based on income, so people considered low or very low income can afford it. Workforce housing. Workforce housing, very similarly to attainable housing, is often used to talk about housing for those who earn too much to qualify for traditional affordable housing subsidies, but still struggle to make rent at market price. Because the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD, has programs for people making 80% of AMI or below, the Brookings Institute states that workforce housing is most commonly intended for households with incomes between 80% and 120% of AMI. In Fort Collins, Oak 140 was the first low-income workforce housing project to open. Studio, one- and two-bedroom apartments are available to people making between 30% and 80% AMI with the overall income average of about 60% of AMI. Workforce housing can also be tied to a profession or employer alongside income. Companies like Facebook and Microsoft have invested in building housing for their employees and many advocate for workforce housing to help public school teachers, police officers, or other similar professions afford living in the communities they serve. Many also think of early career professionals or service industry workers when they think of who would benefit from workforce housing. Overton described workforce housing as fuzzy and said there's no good definition because it's often up to the developer of the property to set the terms. She said she also takes issue with the phrase because it implies people living in other affordable housing aren't working, even though that's not the case. Who qualifies as low income? According to U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, someone is considered low income if they earn less than 80% of an area's median income, AMI. Very low-income people earn 50% or less of the AMI. The Area Median Income, or AMI, for a city or town is the midpoint 
of a specific area's income distribution and is calculated on an annual basis by HUD. What does cost burdened mean? Cost burdened means a renter or homeowner is spending more than 30% of their income on housing. In 2021, when Fort Collins's most recent housing plan was passed, three in five renters and one in five homeowners in the city were cost burdened. Affordable housing is designed to prevent people from becoming cost burdened by providing them places to live that don't cost more than they can afford. What's Fort Collins's AMI? The 2022 AMI is $107,300 for a family of four in Fort Collins and it's $75,200 for a single person. To see the AMI for other size families, visit www.fcgov.com slash social sustainability slash files slash income dash limits dash only dash 2022 dash two. The 2023 AMI numbers will likely be released in May this year, according to HUD. What are ways to make housing affordable? Inclusionary zoning and why Fort Collins doesn't have it. Inclusionary zoning is when municipalities require or sometimes incentivize developers to include some affordable housing in new projects. According to HUD, inclusionary zoning can look a lot of different ways. Programs can be mandatory or voluntary and have a number of requirements, affordability levels, and control periods. HUD also says that most inclusionary zoning programs offer developers incentives such as density bonuses, expedited approval, and fee waivers. A number of other Colorado communities have inclusionary zoning like Boulder, Denver, Longmont, and most of Colorado's mountain communities. Previous Coloradoan reporting shows Fort Collins has considered inclusionary zoning twice, but has instead focused on incentivizing rather than requiring affordable units. Overton said there are a number of reasons for this, and although Fort Collins hasn't chosen to require new housing developments 
to include affordable units. The city has focused on incentivizing construction of affordable units. Overton said the last time Fort Collins leaders considered inclusionary zoning in 2020, there were rules in place preventing it from being used on rental properties, meaning they could only require owned properties to have affordable units, which was a barrier for the city. That rule changed in 2021 when the state decided inclusionary zoning could be used on rental properties. In addition, the last time the city was considering it, Overton said there were still enough units filling the need for middle-income renters that mandating affordable housing might not have worked as well as we wanted it to. There were also concerns around negatively impacting land values, diminishing a project's feasibility, and deterring some projects from being developed if inclusive housing policy was implemented. Overton said if the city wanted to implement any kind of inclusionary zoning, it would need to be closely intertwined with the land use code, which is currently undergoing revision. What happens with the land use code changes will have a direct impact on many of the policy questions inherent in designing an inclusionary housing policy, she said. Deed Restricted Housing Deed Restricted Housing is housing in which the deed stipulates what income range the units are available to, how many units that requirement applies to, and how long that restriction is in place, according to Overton. In an apartment building, for example, the deed could require that five units be set aside for people making 60% AMI for 20 years. That would mean that as AMI changes, rent would have to be no more than 30% of someone's income who is making 60% AMI. Currently in Fort Collins, the deed restriction time period for affordable housing is 20 years, though the proposed land use code changes, again, currently under revision, would have changed that requirement to 99 years. Rent control. Rent control basically means there is a maximum amount that can be charged for rent. Once that's hit, rent cannot be raised anymore. 
Back in the 1980s, rent control was banned in Colorado. But at the Colorado General Assembly this session, legislators are considering repealing the ban and letting municipalities decide whether to pass their own limits on rent. If that passes, cities like Fort Collins could implement their own rent controls, which would, in theory, prevent rents from getting too expensive, thus creating more attainable housing. Sliding Rent Scales A sliding rent scale is utilized by some affordable housing projects to determine what one's rent will be. In programs that use a sliding scale, what the tenant pays is based on their income. Housing catalyst projects, for example, have income limits ranging from 30% to 80% of Fort Collins's AMI and rent is calculated on what percentage the renter makes, usually adhering to the common understanding that to be affordable, one shouldn't pay more than 30% of their gross income. Housing vouchers. Housing vouchers allow people making less than AMI to access safe, decent, and affordable privately owned rental housing, according to Housing Catalyst. In voucher programs, the Public Housing Authority giving the voucher makes a payment directly to the landlord or bank on behalf of the renter or owner and the renter pays the difference between the rent and what's subsidized. Locally, Housing Catalyst estimates that voucher program participants usually pay about 30% of their monthly income toward rent. Who is working to increase affordable housing? HUD HUD is the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. The department, according to its website, is the agency responsible for national policy and programs that address America's housing needs, that improve and develop the nation's communities, and enforce fair housing laws. HUD oversees affordable housing programs nationwide, like housing vouchers, some public and affordable housing projects, and homeless assistance programs. Housing Catalyst Housing Catalyst is a quasi-governmental entity, public housing authority, real estate developer, and property manager working in Northern Colorado to address housing deficiencies.
According to its website, Housing Catalyst owns and manages 1,600 local residents. It's Northern Colorado's largest property manager and Fort Collins's most prominent organization addressing affordable housing. The agency is overseen by a board of commissioners appointed by the city, but it isn't a government agency. It is a partner of the city and has partnered with other groups to provide housing or services. Housing Catalyst receives most of its funding from rent from its various properties and grants. Care Housing Care Housing is a partnership between public, private, and religious groups that works to build and manage affordable housing that also provides supportive services to strengthen and empower families and to build community, according to its website. It specifically provides affordable housing for working Northern Colorado families with dependents, senior citizens, and people with disabilities who earn between 30% and 60% AMI. The organization has developed six affordable housing communities in Fort Collins and one in Windsor. Habitat for Humanity Fort Collins Habitat for Humanity is a non-profit Christian housing group and an affiliate of Habitat International. The organization builds houses with families in need and then sells the house at an affordable rate. Homeowners earning less than 50% AMI traditionally cannot qualify for a mortgage, but Habitat subsidizes the cost of homes for low-income families by selling the home with no profit, giving a mortgage with a 0% interest rate, and ensuring payments don't exceed 30% of a family's gross income. The organization is building Harmony Cottages at the southeast intersection of Harmony and Taft Hill Roads. It will be the largest development Habitat has built here, consisting of 48 homes estimated to create housing for about 144 people. Fort Collins's Land Bank for Affordable Housing. The Land Bank is Fort Collins's only long-term affordable housing tool, according to its website. The program tries to ensure that land will be available to increase the city's affordable housing stock when it's needed.
through the land bank program. The city works to acquire sites that lack infrastructure, thus having a lower price, and then wait until development occurs. In theory, once other development projects happen around the area, the property will be less expensive to develop into affordable housing. The city has bought six sites as part of the land bank program, with the latest addition being bought in 2020. Just one has been activated so far, meaning it was sold to Housing Catalyst in 2016, which developed it into 96 permanently affordable apartment homes. Neighbor to Neighbor Neighbor to Neighbor is a housing resource that serves all of Larimer County and specializes in helping prevent clients from falling into homelessness, finding affordable housing, and maintaining ownership of housing. The organization has affordable housing communities in Fort Collins and Loveland, both of which are full, and hosts programs to educate on rental assistance options, utility assistance options, and home buying. Last December alone, Neighbor to Neighbor distributed $526,327 in rental and utility assistance to 275 households and $625,237 in mortgage assistance. They also run a home share program in which people 55 or older can rent out a room in their house to someone in need of affordable housing. Renters can potentially help with household chores in exchange for lower rent. Room providers can get some extra income and the community is provided with a unique affordable housing solution according to Neighbor to Neighbor. Molly Bohannon covers city government for the Coloradoan. Dead skunks in Larimer County test positive for highly pathogenic avian influenza by Miles Bloomhart. Four dead skunks found within the last two weeks in Larimer County have tested positive for highly pathogenic avian influenza, marking a growing trend of the deadly disease showing up in mammals in Colorado. The county's four deaths are the most HPAI mammal deaths in the state. HPAI has devastated domestic poultry operations 
and killed countless wild waterfowl and raptors in Colorado and elsewhere in one of the most deadly outbreaks in years. In Colorado, it was first detected in the wild population in geese in March 2022. We always suspected this transition from wild waterfowl to mammals would happen. Colorado Parks and Wildlife spokesperson Kara Van Hoos said, Because it's so new and science takes time, we don't know what kind of impacts it will have. The number of fatalities doesn't cause alarms to go off, but we certainly are testing and monitoring. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention considers transmission to humans, pets, and wild mammals as low. Colorado Parks and Wildlife confirmed the positive tests one on March 2nd and three on February 28th, but would not identify where in the county the skunks were located. It began testing for mammals February 9th. Among the mammal deaths in Colorado are five skunks, four mountain lions, two bobcats, two red foxes, and one black bear, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture's website that tracks such deaths. Nationally, red foxes are by far the most impacted mammal, representing 60 of the 144 confirmed mammal deaths as of March 9th. Colorado ranks tied for fourth in mammal deaths due to the disease. Wisconsin is first with 19 deaths. Van Hoos said the agency believes the mammals contracted the disease from eating infected birds. She said the agency believes there could be an uptick in deaths from the disease as the spring waterfowl migration draws more birds in higher concentrations along waterways in the state. Biologists will be keeping an eye on raptor nesting season to get a better idea of population impacts, Van Hoos said. Van Hoos said the agency continues to receive calls from the public reporting dead waterfowl. She said the agency does not have the resources to respond to the many waterways where dead waterfowl are being seen. The agency will respond to mammal reports on a case-by-case -case basis, she said. Fort Collins area residents can call the agency's Northeast Regional Office 
at 970-472-4300 to report sick or dead birds. People, pet protection from avian flu virus. Do not touch sick or dead birds. Avoid direct contact with surfaces that appear to be contaminated with feces from wild waterfowl or domestic poultry. If you have feces from wild waterfowl or domestic poultry on your shoes, boots, gloves, or other items, wash them off before returning home to reduce spread of the disease. Avoid allowing your pet to eat or be exposed to sick or dead birds or areas contaminated with feces of birds, especially domestic poultry or wild waterfowl. Reporting suspected cases of avian flu. Physical symptoms in birds include seizures or circling, head bobbing, weakness or lack of responsiveness to human presence. If you find three or more dead wild birds in a specific area within a two-week period, Notify your local Colorado Parks and Wildlife Office. In the Fort Collins area, call 970-472-4300. Domestic bird owners should protect flocks by reducing interactions between their birds and wild birds increasing physical biosecurity measures, securing their birds' food supply, monitoring their flocks for illness, and reporting any observed or suspicious illness to the State Veterinarian's Office at 303-869-9900. One shot injured after Friday argument in Fort Collins residence by Eric Larson. One man was hospitalized with serious injuries and another is in custody after a shooting in a southwest Fort Collins residence. Larimer County Sheriff's Office announced the shooting in a Saturday news release saying that suspect Travis Turner, 37, was booked into the county jail on suspicion of shooting the unidentified man during an argument that happened about 6 p.m. Friday. The victim of the shooting was able to leave the home on Lathrop Road in unincorporated Larimer County and call 911. He was taken to a hospital 
after sheriff's deputies responded to the scene. The man told deputies that he and Turner were at the home with a group of people when an argument occurred, which led to the shooting. Turner remained in jail Monday on suspicion of two felony crimes and is scheduled for a court appearance Monday afternoon. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in court. Arrests and charges are merely accusations by law enforcement until and unless a suspect is convicted of a crime. Fate of Northern Colorado Airport's Virtual Tower Unclear After Closure of Virginia Tower by Molly Bohannon Following the news that the country's only other remote air traffic control tower in Leesburg, Virginia is being shut down by the Federal Aviation Administration in June. The fate of the Northern Colorado Regional Airport's remote tower is unclear. The remote tower technology is a first-of-its-kind innovation that was installed in Loveland in 2018 and arrived in Leesburg in 2015 through pilot programs. Neither tower has received FAA certification. Once they receive certification, there is no suspected timeline. The remote towers would eliminate the need for and cost of building, maintaining, and staffing a physical air traffic control tower. But in late February, the FAA announced it would end the remote air traffic control tower program in Leesburg telling a local news station that the company sponsoring the remote tower technology at Leesburg Executive Airport decided not to continue the system's design approval process. In a press release, Leesburg officials said they will try to keep the program going at their airport adding that they've worked cooperatively with both the FAA and SAAB for many years and want to ensure that the airport remains towered. Jason Lycon, Airport Director for the Northern Colorado Regional Airport, also known as FNL, told the Coloradoan he has concerns that that closure could impact us, but we really don't know how. Since news of the Virginia Tower's closure broke, Lycan said he has not heard anything from the FAA. The prospect of the virtual tower at the airport owned by the cities of Loveland and Fort Collins 
has raised hopes that it will help attract commercial airline service to the airport. Allegiant Airlines, one of several to begin service and then pull out, said in 2019 it couldn't operate at the airport without an air traffic control tower. Lycan said it's hard to get a grasp of what the implications of the closure are for FNL because the two programs while ultimately going for the same goal, were operated extremely differently. The tower in Leesburg was developed by SAAB Inc., a private company that works to create world-leading products, services, and solutions, including military and civil security. While the tower in Loveland was commissioned by the Colorado Department of Transportation and the FAA, meaning they had more control over operations. SAAB was the entity that really requested the FAA support and certification where our system was an FAA-led project, and the FAA chose the company that they're working with at our facility, Lycan told the Coloradoan. So there's a lot of differences in how the project was started, how it's evolved. Because of the operational differences and the fact that the, that the tower at FNL has more functionality, according to Lycan, he's optimistic the remote tower won't meet the same fate as Leesburg's. The FAA and the Colorado Department of Transportation have spent millions of dollars to make this happen, he said. So we're certainly hopeful that based on the level of investment that's been made and continues to be made, that this project will be certified in the future. Representatives from CDOT's Division of Aeronautics have not responded to the Coloradoans request for comment. At a city council meeting Tuesday night, Mayor Jenny Arndt expressed concern about the tower in Leesburg being decommissioned, saying she was worried about the sunk cost and the viability of attracting any potential new customers without a tower if FNLs were to be decommissioned. I don't have full confidence that that tower will be certified, Arndt said. Lycan reiterated to Council that there has been no local investment outside of in-kind costs and that they have full intent of having the tower certified. But he added that they are looking at contingency plans and entered the project 
knowing there was the possibility of not getting certification. Council voted at the meeting on whether to give the airport a $1 million contribution for its new terminal project, and a number of council members expressed concern about the seemingly increasing costs of the airport and whether Fort Collins should make the contribution. The contribution passed with a 5-2 to two vote, with Council Member Kelly Olson and Mayor Pro Tem Emily Francis voting no. What needs to happen for the remote tower to get certified? The temporary tower that is providing air traffic control to the regional airport since March 2020 was supposed to be just that, temporary. But when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, the remote tower project was delayed two years, meaning the FAA didn't come out to begin the first phase of certification until March 2022. According to past Coloradoan reporting, the first phase of testing included FAA officials running different scenarios to determine the functional capabilities of the remote tower system as installed. In the second phase, the remote tower becomes the primary air traffic control, with the existing mobile tower providing safety redundancies. The remote tower system can be certified after the second phase of testing. However, in November, the FAA released new operational visibility requirements that the airport has to meet before moving to phase two. Lichen said because of that, the FAA has stopped testing Loveland's tower to allow technology to meet the new requirements to be developed and installed at which point they'll return to complete testing. The new requirements didn't result in an additional cost to the airport's owner cities, Fort Collins and Loveland, because the project has been fully funded by the state and FAA. But because of the requirement shift, Lichen said he doesn't have a good timeline for when the tower will get certification. This has been a learning experience. There's still a lot of unknowns, he said. We've tried to provide timelines, and they tend to change quite frequently. Molly Bohannon covers city government for the Coloradoan. Follow her on Twitter at M-O-L-B-O-H-A or contact her at M-B-O-H-A-N-N-O-N 
at coloradoan.com. Joyce Elaine Lee, 85, of Fort Collins, passed away overnight on Friday, February 3rd, 2023, following a brief illness. Joyce was born March 16, 1937, in Greeley, Colorado, to Burnett and Martha Etherton. Joyce is preceded in death by her husband Larry, brother Gary, father Bud, mother Martha, and her son Mike. She is survived by her son Rick and Leslie Fagerberg of Thompson Falls, Montana, daughter Sherry Bingford of Fort Collins, Colorado, son Eric and Kathleen Lee of Catonsville, Maryland, daughter Lisa and Robert Long of West Bloomfield, Michigan, grandchildren Emily, Zachary, and Lindsay Fagerberg, Ryan and Austin Bingford, Madeline Lee, Lauren and Sarah Long. A private memorial service will be held at 11 a.m. on Friday, March 17th at Trinity Lutheran Church, 301 East Stewart Street, Fort Collins, Colorado, 80525. Thank you for joining us for the Fort Collins Coloradoan. My name is Megan. AINC programming is brought to you in part by Trendware. Colorado's best full-service IT-managed services and purpose-built computer device provider. AINC presents your Low Vision Resource of the Day. Today we would like to highlight Ensight Skills Center. The center provides tools, counseling, and training for low vision individuals. Learn more by visiting www.ensightskills.org. That's E N S I G H T. S-K-I-L-L-S, or by calling 866-375-5693. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado.